eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Welcome to another podcast from InsideCarolina.com, the independent voice of UNC sports. Brought to you by JohnnyTShirt.com, the go-to provider for all your Tar Heel gear. Welcome to the Inside Carolina podcast. I'm your host, Tommy Ashley, Ross Martin, and Greg Barnes. That means it is on the beat inside.com insidecarolina.com's best two beat writers in the business barnes and martin are here probably promise i won't mess up y'all's names like i did i think it was a couple weeks ago got a bunch of laughs from our, our usual listeners at least in my inbox i'll start with greg barnes greg we're in the middle of football season um you know carolina's coming off the win against duke has a big one against wake forest but i want to start the basketball discussion just briefly here um, ACC media day used to be a huge thing to go to all the coaches were there you had round tables you could talk to players it has gradually uh, thinned out or gotten less interactive and now with 2020 what appears to be uh, the latest with that well the ACC announced their plans for operation basketball which is what the ACC media day has been called for more than a decade now. And as Ross just informed me uh, off air to get me a little bit pissed off, uh, the email that the ACC sent out uh, says that they're doing ACC Media Day, Operation Basketball, and it is just a network host asking the coaches questions. So in other words, they're not having Operation Basketball and therefore they should not be calling it as such. Uh, so I have to reach out to the ACC and, and express my frustration with that. You can't really build up the college basketball season if you're not granting access to all the coaches. That's kind of what the ACC's job is. And so a uh, little surprised by this. We will get them for the ACC teleconference, which is pretty standard, but we get them for 10 minutes. And you typically get some random radio host from across the country asking stupid questions. Uh, so you don't get a lot of value in those, but uh, we will deal with it. I guess the good news is, is that on Tuesday, we will have the basketball schedule. So we can at least talk about that. But then fortunately, UNC has been gracious in providing us with access to players and Roy Williams, uh, which is obviously a big step up from what the ACC has done thus far. Ross, I don't know um, how many operation basketballs you used to do, but I remember back in the day, you could go and you'd sit – the coaches would move around. I think Roy Williams might have had something to do with this change, but all the media people would sit at a table, uh, various tables throughout the ballroom, and the coaches would rotate through. Mm -hmm. And you could, you would get access, good 
basically unfettered access to every coach and then every player. Um, they've limited that. Your experience with these type things, and what do you think about the changes? I, I think <laughs> I, I think Greg made me laugh uh, being pissed about it. I certainly understand it, especially coming from the uh, viewpoint that the more access you get, the better you can hype the season. But your thoughts, Ross? I mean, the, the changes this year are because we're in a pandemic. I mean, that's why. Yeah, I mean, but, Yeah, but you still could have a Zoom call. You could have each coach on a Zoom call. Yeah, correct, correct. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I haven't, I've been doing it for, you know, five, six, seven years, and it's great. You have 30 minutes with, with each coach if you choose. You probably have two or three coaches in a room, so you, you really get to go to whichever one you please of those two or three. So you get 30 minutes with Roy Williams if you want to sit there and listen to him talk. You ask him, I mean, 30 minutes is a lot of time to sit there, you know, with, with you know, 10, 15 people there. And same with the players, too. You get two players. You get one-on-one sometimes with, with players of, like, other teams – we don't have many media members there. So, I mean, it's great. It's a good time. It's good to see everybody. I love those uh, those events in Charlotte because you get to see everybody that covers all the different teams. It's kind of a reunion of sorts between um, before each season starts. So, it looks like, you know, in this in this day and time where things are different, we have to kind of deal with it. But um, I think UNC does a good job with access in general. So, Yeah, they do. Tommy, it used to be – it did whittle down to 30 minutes a couple years ago. But years ago, it was about an hour with all the coaches. And the funny thing is, is you, whoever the beat writers were at the time, so it was me and a couple others at that point in time, uh, we would just anchor with Roy and listen to him answer the same questions you know, five times. And midway through, he'd start complaining about having to be there. And how it was his least favorite day of the year because he had to spend it with us. Uh, it was always a good time. And by the end of it, we were talking golf and what other kind of silliness. But, one year, uh, I'd kind of just kind of zoned out because you, know, you just have people from all over coming in and asking whatever question they want randomly, and it kind of gets old. And so with about five minutes left, I packed up my things and started to leave, and Roy says, Greg, uh-uh, if you're leaving, then I'm leaving. And I was like, uh, they're not paying me to be here. Like, I'm going to go work. So he uh, – that's, I hate that worse than anything that we don't get to hear him complain about these silly uh, media days, which are so valuable to, to us media members. One of my favorites was sitting I at remember the table. two. Well, go ahead, Ross. I'll share mine after you. I remember two, yeah, I remember two years yeah, – real quick. I remember two years ago, uh, really got cold, and somehow Steve – Kirshner found him like this old man jacket. That's right. I mean, it was something my <laughs> something my ninety year old grandfather used to wear. It was like a beige old like it was hideous, and he just wore the dang thing. So every photo and video was him in this this hideous like kind of thick windbreaker that you know your grandfather would wear back in the seventies. That's, that's it reminds me of the oh the baby is cold in here, and you have to get that old blanket out for grandma. Uh, my favorite thing was uh, I got to sit at the table with Leonard Hamilton, and it was just he and I back. It's been years ago. Whenever he first got to Florida State, you talking about an interesting conversation. That dude is legendary. And then Sonia, absolutely. And then uh, and that's what you know talking about North Carolina. He knew I covered Carolina for Inside Carolina, so that got the the ball rolling. Great, great dude. I mean, I love that guy. He's great for the ACC. Uh, and then Pete Gillen. Virginia coach at the time talking about SpongeBob and I had never heard of SpongeBob and he went on and on and on about how his players always started acting like SpongeBob down the stretch and uh, 
So it was very enlightening. Fun times. I hate they don't do it the same way. Uh, maybe one day they can get back to it. Other big news, and we're recording this Monday night. Hope to get this out Monday night. But Tuesday, Greg, college basketball or Carolina schedule comes out. Is that going to be the final schedule, or is this? are they still piecemealing it? No, it's going to be the final schedule because, I mean, North Carolina's non-conference schedule is pretty much set. Uh, the way it was set up, if you were participating in a tournament that had three games, uh, you were allowed to expand your schedule to include essentially 27 games. And so when North Carolina's got the, the Maui Invitational hosted by Asheville, uh, that's three games. You've got the CBS Sports Classic. Then you got the ACC Big Ten Challenge. I mean, that's five games right there. And we know they've got the College of Charleston game the day before Thanksgiving, which is, what, 16 days from now. And then there's one more game that weekend before they head to Asheville. Uh, so we've pretty much got the non-conference set up. And they've just been waiting on the ACC to figure out how they wanted to schedule everything. Yeah, we, we think it's going to be Elon, right, Greg? College Charleston, Elon, non-conference, three games, the Mal Invitational, uh, Iowa in Iowa City, and Ohio State in Cleveland as part of the CBS Sports Classic. So that is your seven non-conference games right there. Yeah, and the way we're, we're thinking about it is – Weekend of Thanksgiving, you've got two games. Well, College of Charleston being on the 25th. Uh, Maui Invitational is the Monday. 30th, 1st, and 2nd. That following week will be ACC Big Ten Challenge. And then you've got essentially 10 or 11 days before that game uh, in Cleveland. And so there's going to be most likely at least one ACC game in that stretch, and then you'll probably have another one or two after. That's, that's the thing that's going to be interesting to see is – at least two ACC games in December, maybe three, and that's something we really haven't seen before. So have – and they probably have, and I just hadn't looked at it. How is it split up, the ACC race this year, Greg, as far as who Carolina plays? I know it's a 20-game season, but have they decided on uh, who's playing who twice this year? Yeah, it's the, it's the standard. They haven't changed any of that due to COVID. So it's the standard Same opponents. Yeah. I don't have that in front of me, but if you want me to grab it, I can. But it, it's not changed at all because of COVID. Hey, and Greg, why did they push it back? We, I think, I mean, I think the Big Ten should have started earlier. I think the SEC should start earlier now that we see that really COVID hasn't changed much and you need as many flexible dates as possible. What was, was there any reason other than the obvious to push back to November 25th? Well, the hope was that it would go away and that there would okay. be, be enough success fighting the, the virus in the summer that by the time you got into the fall, it'd be much more manageable. And that also, by, by pushing it back, it gives you more time to work on vaccines, more time to work on treatments. Uh, and as we've seen here in the last month, uh, you know, the, the treatments and the vaccines, while they're making progress, have not progressed enough. And then you're seeing whether this is a second wave or not, uh, cases are spiking. So in hindsight, yes, you're exactly right. Yeah. They should have gone ahead and done it. Uh, but that's kind of what they were thinking. And that's, that's one of the, the interesting things, too, is – uh, because of the compressed schedule, you know, they went ahead academically, they moved up class, right? So classes end, exam week is before Thanksgiving because yeah. they were thinking about, well, in December is when flu season hits, is when you know, it gets cold, that may be when it peaks again. But yet when you look at the, what the NCAA did, and what the football conferences did, they said, well, we're, gonna, we're just going to push it back. We're going to do the opposite of what the academics do. <laughs> I think there's some humor in there. <laughs> and I think UNC is off campus for like six weeks because they're off from yeah. uh, beginning of Thanksgiving 
to I think like the mid mid of mid January. So, I was going to say, are they bubble? Are the players going to bubble up as much as possible? I know plenty, or most of the guys live off campus. How's that going to work? That's a good question. I, I don't know the answer to that. I mean, I'm sure they're going to be in as much of a bubble as they can be. I mean, football has been doing it pretty successfully, so follow the same idea and not go to parties. Yeah, and Tommy, as, as you mentioned a while back, and Mac has said the same, and you got a little bit of heat for it, but it's, it's true. The less people you have on campus – the better it is for the players because they don't have the temptation of all these parties. Yeah. They don't have as many people to have to interact with. So from a sports perspective, it is certainly better not to have everybody here. Yeah. So the first games will be the 25th and then Thanksgiving and then all the students will be gone. So UNC will have no students on campus for six weeks and the football, basketball team will be there practicing and as, as will the football team too. So it'll be and, l- less temptations. Right. And so when you talk about exams ending before Thanksgiving, well, the 25th, we don't know what's going to happen with fans at basketball games regardless, right? But the 25th is the first game. Then you've got Elon. And then you're going to have at least one or two ACC games at home. So are kids coming back in? I mean, that's all going to be interesting to watch how all that plays out if they allow fans at all. I would wager that there won't be fans in the Smith Center. And if so, very, very few. Um, hearing, hearing likely just family to start. Yeah. I mean, think cases are higher than ever. Why would you, you know, why would you let fans in now? And the election's mm-hmm. over, which, you know, that you would assume that that frees up uh, Governor Cooper. To, if he wants to tighten things up, he, he can do it much more easily now. Vaccine's coming. You see the stock market today. Whew. Loose. Uh, yeah, I like seeing the stock market go up. I mean, it was, uh, just, it was pretty crazy, though. Well, what, let me ask you uh, – I want to ask you about y'all's ACC, all ACC basketball picks, but Greg, what'd you think about the Notre Dame and, and Ross? You too, that field rushing after the Notre Dame game. I mean, you can't stop that kind of stuff, but I know people were having heart attacks watching that happen. Yeah. I mean, I, I think it's clearly it's reckless, but again, when you're talking about college kids, they're going to do stupid stuff. And um, I think that's an example of it. Um, you know, other than threatening them not to, you know, charge the field. I, I don't know exactly what you can do in that situation. It's, in basketball, it's become such an issue with court storming that you're getting people hurt, and that's not even talking about uh, a pandemic. Yeah, so, is, there a, is there an ACC protocol for that type thing, for what Notre Dame Clemson did? And I'm going to be honest. If I was a student at Notre Dame, I'd have been in the middle of it, without question. So it so there's no known cure or issue. I know a lot of people said they need to for die. for testosterone and estrogen at eighteen, <laughs> nineteen, twenty. No, there's no cure there. for that. Yeah, yeah, cure. That was an awesome uh, game. Though. I mean, I mean, that was an awesome game. Yeah, in, indeed. Yeah, I mean, it's hard to kind of deny that. Let's, uh, Ross. You posted your all ACC basketball picks. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't. I mean. We, we can go into this, but, like, I, I am awful these things. I mean, I admit <laughs> don't pay attention to many other teams other than UNC. So, I mean, I was messaging everybody. I messaged Greg. I messaged a bunch of my writer buddies just trying to figure out what they did. I ended up doing a little research, which is, I mean, kind of unusual for me to research other teams. And, um, yeah, we can go through. If you, do you have it up? Yeah, I do not, but I, I will have it right here shortly. It was yeah, on your Twitter, too. correct? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean – um. I just kind of looked at which players were coming back and, and, and who had been nominated and then kind of went and looked to 
point totals and, and made some picks. Um, yeah. So, was, so what is the, um, our listeners need to know what's the process for somebody like you? You've explained it a little bit, but uh, I mean, I, you get it. go ahead. Oh, oh, sorry. Well, you get an email. And you go on, you click on this website and or click on this little thing and, and you go and fill it out. My process is, you know, you, you, you look at what names you recognize. I recognize Garrison Brooks's name. I know Chris like I like picking seniors. Chris likes is a senior that you know did well last year. He's probably gonna have a pretty good year as a senior guard for Miami. Jose Alvarado for Georgia Tech was another one of my picks. So he's a senior leader. Probably going to score in the, in the high teens somewhere around there. And then I picked a, a freshman from Duke. I was told on Twitter by many people that I picked the wrong freshman for Duke. But um, he seemed like a big name. And then Scotty Barnes, who I didn't really know his name until today, but he is a, the high, one of the highest ranked um, freshmen in the league, playing for Florida State. Figured he's going to get a lot of shots, a lot of opportunities. So I picked him. Those are my top, top five. And, uh, you know, who knows? And then I was informed that Virginia has a transfer from Marquette. Yep. who's really, really good, too, who I didn't even know about. So, I mean, that's – Sam Hauser. Yeah, I just have no – I mean, this is why I do this. I do it because I think it's – you when you have a chance to vote, you should vote. But I am by no means an expert on this, and I'm very honest about that. Greg's your guy for this kind of stuff. Yeah, and that's what I want to ask Greg. Greg, what percentage of ACC sports writers – fall in ross's category versus fall in your category when doing this stuff and i'd be in yours probably ross i'll admit i i don't know um and you know i go back to this like the postseason voting i take that incredibly seriously i I think that's it's only fair to the kids to to really dive into the numbers when we're talking about preseason stuff eh, i mean you don't get a trophy for winning a preseason award um and so look i mean we were for inside Carolina. I mean, my, my job is very UNC-focused, whereas some people cover multiple teams. You know, if you work for the News Observer, like Luke DeCock, um, I guess you can't even mention those names on this podcast, but he covers, you know, multiple teams along with, you know, Little Virginia, Virginia Tech. And, you know, so some people have a broader view of the conference than I do. Um, and, um, I, I fail. But, you know, I've got mine, you know, Garrison Brooks, I think, I don't think there's any reason not to select him as preseason player of the year. I mean, just based off the stats and what he did last year and the other people coming back, I think he's up there. Um, go ahead, Ross. So, yeah, so I, my point on that is I don't think he's going to win it, but I think it's an honor that he is deserving to receive that vote based on what he did last year, even though I think he won't, like we've talked about, he won't get the touches and as many opportunities to score as some other people. But I think he – it's kind of a card philosophy uh, – breakdown there like i don't think he's gonna win it but i think he is the most deserving to win it right now if that makes sense yeah and i think when you look at vernon carey's gone uh jordan war has gone john mooney elijah hoods hughes uh trey jones all those guys are gone and those were i think those were the five first teamers um garrison's second team i mean that that's kind of where we're at i th- I think he's deserving of it right now. Uh, I kind of agree with Ross that he's not going to get the touches that he did. But my point was, you know, Garrison's kind of a known quantity. And I put MJ Walker there as well because I think MJ's going to have a big year. Scotty Barnes, love his film. A lot of, lot of big things being said about him. Certainly he can be a guy that, that's going to be an elite player for FSU as well. Walker's kind of the veteran guard there, and he, he's played well. I think it's his time to shine. But then, like, Sam Hauser, you know, I mean, they're talking about him being the best player by far on Virginia's team, and that's why I picked Virginia 
uh, to win the conference is, is because I've got a lot of guys coming back and he's supposed to be the best of the bunch. He was one of the best on the team last year, even though he didn't get to play. And then David Johnson at Louisville. I mean, he's a kid, ton of potential, right? Um, looked really good. Had a lot of talented guys in front of him. Now he's the guy that can th- kind of take that step. So I really look at it as, okay, what's coming back? And then who are the guys that either scratched last year or guys coming in like some of the Duke freshmen who have the ability to really just be great from day one. And to Ross's point, other than Garrison, and I'll put Hauser in this category, we really don't know. These guys should be good, uh, but until we actually see some games, especially this year with how things have played out, it's just so hard to know who's going to be good and who's not. I mean, look, Matthew Hurt could have a huge year. Yeah. He wasn't as good as a freshman, but I think I was hyped up as a freshman so he could really break through and Wendell Moore and, you know, Duke has so many freshmen too. There's a lot. Of and Caleb Love, I mean, he could be a guy. Yeah, I was surprised that Steve didn't nominate him. UNC, all right, so this is a good point, Tommy. UNC nominated one player for all ACC that we could pick. Duke nominated six. I think that's yeah, the and that's kind of the reverse of what Duke did last year, isn't it? Great. Well, that was the yeah. postseason deal right. where Duke didn't yeah. nominate it. So, so, I mean, Garrison Brook is, is going to be an all-ACC preseason guy because just because, I mean, obviously his talent, but UNC only nominated one person, so it's an easy pick. Whereas if Carol Love was on there and maybe Daron Sharp, you maybe spread the vote out a little bit. But, yeah, with Duke, they had six players. So, you, you know, I just kind of picked one and, and went with them. That's probably what a lot of people did as well. So, so why, would, why would a SID not nominate five or six? Two to ensure that at least one person gets on that list. I agree with that on the postseason one. Anyway, it's yeah, I mean, it's, it's all works. preseason. Who cares? You yeah. also get into, you know, I, don't, I, I haven't talked to UNC's guys about this, so this is just me speculating. But if you go back to, like, Harrison Barnes, that kid was hyped up so much that even though he had a good two-year career in Chapel Hill, uh, Every well, not everybody. Most people kind of saw his career as less than what the hype was, and therefore they may not have this strong uh, remembrance of how good he was. And that's that's how. Like, and I'll, I'll switch this over to football for a second. People are asking, like, Javante Williams, Sam Howell, why is UNC not hyping these guys for Heisman? Well, the reason why is that's not their job. Their job is to make sure that the media has stats and has the data they need. But if UNC starts going, hey, Javante Williams, he's got to be a Heisman candidate. He's got to be in the conversation. And then guess what? He goes out and has three fumbles in a game. Then people start criticizing Javante because he's not living up to that standard, which was set by his own school. And so there's a fine line there where you have to promote and you have to get the information out without being this hardcore uh, advocate for these, for these awards. And it, you know, it's a challenge. It's not an easy thing to do when you're trying to promote the guys without putting too much pressure on them. I don't know if I agree that it's not the school's part because I've seen plenty of other schools have Heisman campaigns for their guys, Lamar Jackson, people like that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you can set the bar too high and then they underachieve it, but yeah, I think – I don't know. I, I think the school needs to be more active, and I think we've seen cases of that. Yeah, I'd wonder if, if football is somehow looping in national media to what Javante is doing. I don't know how that happens, but, you know, maybe send a couple notes here and there to the Bruce Feldmans of the world and the, the national and, guys to make them 
I mean, because the stats are clear. Like, he is right now the top running back in the country. Yeah, that's so. different, though, than, than putting on a full-court press in national yeah, yeah. media. Billboards. Right. Yeah. Like the Joey Harrington deal. Joey Harrington. Oregon. That's all. That's what yeah. I always think about. Joey Harrington yeah. and, and uh, Times Tom Square. Square. Yeah. 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 Stuff like that. I think there's a line there, but I, I think you can you can do too much, Harrington, for sure. But yeah, you you can do more than maybe they've done in the past. I don't know. I guarantee that's a, that's a tough line to to walk, Tommy. Well, I guarantee you, next year, if they're not Sammy Heisman all over the place, then. That's to me. That's derelict by UNC's marketing folks. Anyway, we could debate that later. I'm gonna take a break. Football uh, time. Football time. We're gonna get since we started talking about football. We're gonna carry it over. But I'm gonna talk about Johnny T-shirt. JohnnyT-shirt.com. Black Friday sales on Johnny T-shirt. Seems like they have sales all the time for all the latest cold weather gear, rain gear. As it's raining outside my window right now, and it's supposed to rain this week. Uh, tailgate, home gate, all you need. Christmas gifts. Buy things. Buy things from Johnny T-Shirt and JohnnyT-Shirt.com. We need to support local. And if you're Inside Carolina Premium subscriber, and if you're not, I, I don't know what to tell you, you get 10% off the top of those sales. Take another break. We're going to let the national guys pay the bills. We'll be back on the Beat Podcast. That's Ross Martin, Greg Barnes. I'm Tommy Ashley. We'll be right back. Introducing the Two-Way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the Two-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the Two-Way for yourself at newbalance.com. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. All right, we're back with On The Beat Podcast. I'm Tommy Ashley. Ross Martin and Greg Barnes join me. Before I forget, take a second to rate us and review us on iTunes and Spotify and all that stuff. And then on YouTube, certainly click the subscribe button below. Ross, football talk. We, we started getting into the Heisman talk. Uh, speaking of Javante Williams, this is one question I'd like to see maybe you guys ask at one of these press conferences, specifically of Mac or of uh, Longo, maybe even Gillespie if he ever talks to the media, is what can Javante Williams do to be better? How can he improve? Because I'm not seeing a lot. Yeah, I mean, I don't uh, – That much, would be right? a good I mean, question, we'll, Tommy. Yeah. Huh? I'm, not off, I'm not an offensive line – you know, offensive line coach or a running backs coach or, you know, offensive coordinator. I mean, Wait, we can – we, I mean, we can breaking we, through it. We criticize when they're bad. Let's what can he do? Yeah. What can he do to be better? Let's have that discussion because I'm interested in knowing. Jason Staples doesn't think there's a whole lot there for him to improve at all, but he can. Yeah, I mean, breaking two or three tackles almost every run it seems, and um, from what I what we hear, he's great at pass protection. They always bring that up about him, and he runs hard. I mean, some of these plays are incredible when he, he's bouncing guys off him. I mean, I think he's become i mean he was thought of as this power back i mean but he is 
breakaway speed, you know, jukes left and right to, to avoid defenders. And I was telling people this morning during our workout that, I mean, he is such a bundle, like a bundle of muscle where these little light cornerbacks and safeties just bounce off of him. And it's incredible. I mean, I don't, I don't really know how much of your can you, you can praise him and there's not much to criticize. I mean, running backs are hard to criticize anyway. Like, you kind of see the hole and you go. And, and then I guess just breakaway speed to be able to make people miss is the one area you could criticize, and he's doing both of those. Uh, Greg, looking at the grades, it looks like 74.5 in the passing game, 94.5 run grade. I'd be interested to know, Greg, and I, you can have it at the tip of your fingers, is what's the highest ever run grade for a college football running back? I don't have that. Tommy's asking some questions that we don't have answers to. I know, man. Y'all are supposed to be prepared. I, I'm, I actually got prepared today. Oh, right, well, hang on a second. Give me, give me a split second, and I will, I will find this out. Do you Why, want per, per game, or do you want just for a season? Well, it looks like through the first 10 weeks of the season is how you phrase your 94 and a half. Yep. So 94 and a half run grade is the best thus far. Still got some games to play. Let's see here. Last year. Just live fact checking. Yep, just waiting on Wi-Fi to fire <laughs> this through. While you're looking for that, what, what Travis Etienne had a 92.4 last year, for example, on the season. On the season, and then we'll go back one more year. 2018. Great radio here, uh, well, Ross. You can carry on. Alex Trebek, Jeopardy music. Uh, oh, shout out. Etienne had a 92.4 in 2018 as well. How about that? So what can Javante do to be better, Greg? Uh, I, assume, I assume at this level it's like Sam, right? I mean, how can Sam get better? Um, I think the thing for Javante is he's got to get better uh, pass blocking. He's pretty good. He's not great. So for him to play a long time at the next level, he's got to improve there. Uh, that, that's to be expected. Um, he's you know, Ross likes to talk about this, and he's right. Uh, Javante has really good vision, and he has very good patience. And when you pair those two together with his blend of speed and explosion and power, it's tough. And as long as you're getting getting some holes, you know, I think a lot of guys it's it's one of those conversations of you know, is is the offensive line so good that it makes any running back looks good? I don't think that's the case here. Uh, I think Carter's the same way. Both these guys are very good. And you can see with the number of missed tackles that he's forced, you know, he's got 60 broken tackles on the season, which is crazy through seven games. Um, But even when the offensive line's not creating holes for him, he's able to, um, he's able to to make something happen. And I think you look at what he did in the past game, right? I think he had 24 yards. Well, 29 yards of what he has was after contact. So he actually had more yards after contact than total yards. And that speaks to his ability just to, to kind of get free and, and break tackles. And so I, I don't know there's a whole lot for him to improve on. There's nothing glaring for sure. It's just all the minutia and the fundamentals. And that's why I think he's going to be a, a very high draft pick in the spring. Greg, when he gets, you know, when he gets tackled, what does Javante always do? It seems. What does he always do? Always do when he gets tackled. He always seems to fall forward. Oh, yeah, for sure, yes. I mean, that's another thing you just point to. Like, he's never getting hit back. He's always getting that extra yard when he gets hit, and that's just another great thing about his game. How many times have you seen him get knocked on his butt? Yeah, I mean, it takes multiple people, and yeah. he's never, like, just rocked by one person. 
Yep. And also, what has he not done this season and hasn't done since midseason last year? Don't talk about that, though. You can't talk about that. <laughs> he did fumble against uh, Virginia, though. Oh, did they, they recover it? No, nah, fumbled out of bounds. Oh, that doesn't count. It's a fumble. Uh, it does hey, count. <laughs> Ross, I, so, so you're prepared. I'm looking at your article, 10 Things We Take Away <clears> from uh, This Week. And Emory Simmons, I think – was a big thing. I remember early in the season, I don't know if his dad or somebody couldn't tell if they were pleased about or not pleased about him not playing or not pleased about being able to be in the stands, but he stepped up big, especially with Bo Corrales out. I think that bodes well for folks lamenting Daz and Diami leaving after this year. Yeah, and, and Choffrey Brown too. I mean, they have two guys waiting in the wings now with, with Emory and Choffrey. You to be Competent and pretty big-time receivers, so that's great. I mean, Emory's really stepped in, little to no drop-off from Bo Corrales. Definitely kind of a different body type. And Bo's a big-bodied, almost more of kind of a wide receiver, tight end hybrid. So they're missing that kind of end-zone threat. Um, and that big guy can kind of box out of the uh, defender and get a, get a touchdown in the, in the red zone. But um, Emory seems to have, by all accounts, and what Longo's told us and other players – he stepped in and been a, a, a positive receiver for Tar Heels. And it's just adds to that depth. And the next year they have Josh Downs, Josh Downs who will step in. We don't know if Dime will come back or not. And then Chaffer will also be the guy who can figure in there. And there's some other guys we're not even mentioning. You know, Antoine Green. Um, people were really high on the guy from Pilot Mountain, Stephen Gosnell as well. So there's some other guys out there. So the wide receiver room, as expected, is deep. I am surprised at how much they're playing Daz and Diami and Emory and guys like Green and, and Groves aren't playing at all. That's the one thing that's been surprising to me this season. I would think you'd see a lot more of Downs, Groves, and Green. Yeah, Greg, I said that on Twitter during the game. You can't build, build depth if you don't play them. I was specifically talking about offensive line, and then Brian Anderson gets dinged up. But looking at the defensive line, a lot of guys got a, some meaningful snaps there. And I, I thought – I thought they looked solid. I thought Miles Murphy uh, looked very, very good against Duke. Now, the competition may be a thing. Duke's always had a pretty tough offensive line and been pretty physical in the trenches. These guys have made some splash plays against the Blue Devils. Got to bode well, especially with Wake coming to town and then the last two we'll talk about. Yeah, for sure. I think I think really what you saw on Saturday is kind of a glimpse of the, the challenge this coaching staff has, right? Because – um, not knocking in the key guys right now, but you've got to have guys that can play that know exactly what to do and can do multiple jobs. Um, and the challenge is, is when you bring in a guys like, like Miles Murphy or Daz Evans or Cayman Rucker, their talent jumps off the screen. I mean, there's no doubt Miles Murphy is the most talented defensive tackle in that unit right now. Uh, Clyde Pender, that kid's going to be good, Right. Um, and same with Rucker. Rucker just has an a, a extra level of, of, of energy that most of these guys don't have. But because they're so young, because they didn't have spring ball, uh, they're really coming along slowly. And you would have loved to have had it you know, earlier in the year. It kind of is what it is. And so when you're projecting next season, I mean, these guys are going to be playing a lot. But right now, because they're so young and raw and inexperienced, uh, I think it's a matter of they just can't trust them to the level that they trust Bohasic and maybe Jaleel Taylor 
and even Tamari Fox. Um, and so it's a, it's kind of a balancing act. You want to get them out there because they are so talented and so explosive, but you got to make sure you have guys on the field that you can trust to do exactly what you want them to do. And it's, it's a balancing act. All those guys are coming back too. I mean, UNC won't lose any, any significant player off the defensive line other than Tomon Fox and Terari, uh, Tyron Hopper, who are that hybrid linebacker defensive end guys, but the core interior defensive linemen, they don't lose anybody. So, I mean, yeah, and I, that's high words from Greg on Miles Murphy, um, that he's the most talented guy, just pure from a raw talent point. But I think Desmond Evans really stood out with that sack. You kind of just see that length, and UNC doesn't have anybody like him with that length on the roster. So they get him in, and, he, and he's obviously playing a lot more. They're super high on him and how hard he works. So they're putting together pieces now, uh, maybe a little bit later than we expected, but they're still true freshmen, so they'll be coming along, like Greg said. Yeah, but they folks should be really, really pleased with how the defense is going to look. And, and if Carolina gets loaded on the defensive line next year and year after that, I mean, the pieces on the offense will change. I don't see a whole lot changing on how they uh, on, on how they produce on offense. It might not be as pretty sometimes, but Carolina's going to be loaded. Let's look down the road um, while we wrap this show and get out of here. And, and Greg, I'll start with you again. Wake Forest. This is a team that. Uh, I, you know, Carolina opened at the line open at 17 or something ridiculous. Did I see that? I mean, yeah, that, I tweet that out. I tweet that out today. 17 that Mealy went back down to 12, 12 and a half. Yeah, th this is a game, and I, I know everybody points to state scoring however many points they did against Wake Forest, but they also um, held Virginia Tech down and all that. Should Carolina fans, Greg, worry about Wake a little more than maybe they are? I think so, for sure. I mean, uh, Wake's four and two, and I mean one of their losses is Clemson. I mean everybody's losing to Clemson except for Notre Dame when Clemson's you know, starting linebacker core and their starting quarterback doesn't play. Uh, but they lost to Clemson 37-13. So comparatively, you know, it wasn't a horrible performance. Uh, and yes, they did lose in a shootout with NC State, um, but that's a blemish. But since then, they've looked really good. I mean they beat Virginia forty to twenty three. They beat Virginia Tech by touchdown and then whooped uh, Syracuse last week. And then two weeks ago. So the other component, too, is they're coming off a bye week. Mm -hmm. uh, and, I mean, they, their turnover margin is crazy. I think it's 15 to 1. It's one of the Sam top. Hart Sam Hartman hadn't thrown an interception all year. Yeah. But they've committed one turnover all year, and they forced 15. Cool. Um, so they're very fundamentally sound. You know, Dave Clawson, we keep talking about guys like Bronco. Uh, Clawson's right there with him in terms of just being very fundamentally sound in how he coaches. He knows he's not going to have the elite level talent just because that's just kind of not his, his stick. Right. Uh, but he's a great coach and we've seen it. We saw it last year. And I think a lot of people wrote Wake Forest off when Jamie Newman transferred and when St. Surratt decided to, to not play this year. Uh, and then they lose to, to Clemson to start the season and then NC State. Like, yep, that's it. They're done. This is a good team. This is, this is the, one of the better teams that UNC has played this year. And I think that's an interesting question, Tommy, because I don't know how anybody that follows UNC football can overlook any team because they've got two bad losses, Florida State and Virginia. Uh, you know, I think Virginia's you know, decent. I don't think Florida State's good at all. And so if North Carolina can lose those games, they absolutely can, can lose this one. And that's one of the big keys for why Matt keeps saying, 
look, we've got to learn how to play. We have to learn uh, how to play well coming off a, a win just as, as much as we do off a loss. Because when they've been spanked, spanked, when they've lost these games to bad teams, um, I mean, you lose to a bad team, it's kind of spanking. Um, you lose to a bad team, you get fired up and you come back, right? And you play well. And they played great against NC State. They played great against Duke. Um, but when you come off a win over Duke, in which you dominated, I mean, that game was over before the end of the first quarter. Yep. Um, so kind of what happens? Do you say, you know what? We can play better even though we, we beat Duke pretty good. That's what they've got to get into the mindset of. And I think it's a good parallel because last year they beat South Carolina, they beat Miami, and then where do they go? Winston-Salem. Mm-hmm. And they get down 21-zip yeah. early, uh, and then they were not able to pull it off, which is what we've seen against Florida State and Virginia. So a lot of parallels to how, how things have played out the last two years. Yeah, it was a big payback game. I mean, that was a that was a bad loss at Wake. I mean, Wake was great, but it was just like – Weird game. UNC had some injuries, and they were riding high, and they got beat by this small private school, you know, an hour and a half up the road. <laughs> I mean, it's like, you know, UNC should not be losing to, to Wake Forest and Duke in football. Um, there's the recruiting pool is so different. The resources are, are different. Um, I mean, I have friends who went to Wake. There's just, it's just not a very fun experience for a lot of people there. It's just not, it's not a very attractive school to recruit to. But that, that shows you how good Dave Clawson is, man. They've, they've – Dave Kloss and Brock Amenhall, I think, are two of the best coaches because of how much they do with, with so little. And, um, yeah, I mean, if you want to get to where you can't be losing to Wake Forest and Virginia if you want to kind of be that top 15-type national program that competes with Clemson, Florida State, Miami, and those kind of teams every year. So this is a big, big game. And, I, yeah, I, I think there it should be a good game because I think Wake Forest is pretty good based on what I've heard and what I've seen a little bit and, and how they played against other teams. And they're probably going to get better as they get more experience and have some of these younger players step in as well. What people forget, and we can get out of here on this note, is that Sam Hartman or, or Hartman beat out Jamie Newman mm-hmm. for the starting quarterback last year before he got hurt. And then everybody talking about how Newman's a potential high-round draft choice. We'll see. How, how weird yeah. is it that Newman went to Georgia and Georgia's without a quarterback now? Cause he, and he just quit, right? Yeah. 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 Uh, before we get out of here, since you put us on the spot, Tommy, with the PFF stats for Javante, uh, while Ross was talking, I went back and looked. This is pretty impressive. So, Javante right now, granted, seven games in, he's got a couple of really good defenses coming up, so these numbers could change. Currently leads the country with a 94.5 run grade. So, if we go back 2014, Ezekiel Elliott led the country a 92.1. 2015, Leonard Fournette from LSU, 91.5. 2016, Kareem Hunt from Toledo, 91.9. And then you go back a couple years ago, 2017, it was Stanford, North Carolina native Bryce Love, 91.4. And right behind him was Georgia's Nick Chubb at 90.3. Um, That's a all those right guys there. were very impressive at the NFL level. That's a tweet right there. I need to get those and make sure that's on my Twitter account. Well, you, you, you know what's funny is Jason Staples and I were talking yesterday on the day after podcast, and he, when he did his, uh, his previews and, and scout, scouting articles, he said, you know, people were mad that 
he put Javante as the highest rated player on Carolina over Sam Howe or whatever. And he said, I thought my comps were pretty good, but the more I think about it, the more he looks like Ezekiel Elliott to me. And then you reference Elliott back in whatever it was, 14. The, the kid is good. He needs to stay healthy and continue on. He's going to make a lot of money one day from the little town of Wallace. You always like to reference the small towns, Ross. When you talk about it, you, it doesn't get much smaller than Wallace, North Carolina. You been there? I absolutely, I've been there. That's near a buddy Greenville. of mine's the chief of police down there. So yeah, Godly. is that near Greenville? A couple of good golf courses in Wallace. No, it's down. It's down I forty in that area going towards wilmington ish all right so who we got winning uh, the masters let's talk about serious stuff now i have no idea Bo shambo didn't someone back, name? did someone get covid and not playing isn't uh yeah. sergio not playing anymore no nah, it's not sergio but it is a uh i thought sergio got, is backed out well he may have but the, the okay. main guy uh was a another spanish golfer i'm trying to oh. think of who it was um golfers they say DeChambeau's flying his drives like 320 now. And so he's – number two is a – for those that don't, don't know, is a long par five. And apparently he's – in a practice round last week, he had a nine iron into the green. <laughs> That's ridiculous. Uh, Greg, have you, you've been down there before, haven't you? I, I know have, you haven't yes. played it. It's, yep. it's different. I wonder what it's going to look like in the fall. I know. It be, should be interesting. It's, uh, it's greened up. I don't know. But I mean, azaleas bloom, I'm told, in spring and fall. So hopefully they've got it looking – Looking nice. I'm sure Sergio, they do. Sergio uh, will not play because of a positive COVID test. Okay. Was it New- Newman? Uh, or who was the other guy? I don't know. I don't know. That, that's my pick. You know, I'd prefer to see Tiger in it in the end. Um, I might go with Morikawa. I kind of like him. And he's number 16 on the list I'm looking at. So, maybe I, that's one of my favorite numbers. So. DeChambeau, I think, is the money bet, right? Him and Rom. If you can kill it out there and there's no rough to speak of, really, yeah, he's impressive. Just sit between the pine trees. That's all you got to (laughs) do. Anyway, it's been fun. It's been On The Beat Podcast. I'm Tommy Ashley. That's Ross Martin. Ross, I have to expect a deer to come out and eat out of your hand on your back porch (laughs) there. (laughs) Very, uh, Uh, yeah, I mean, there's tons of deer back. I see them all the time. I work out here every afternoon, and I've really learned more about squirrels than I ever have. They've been jumping around. Gabbing a lot of nuts. But yeah, there'll, there'll be deer just walking by while I'm working. It's pretty cool. There's a pond down there, too. That's pretty neat, man. You can't beat that view. I think I've heard the coaches reference that in the past. Even Mac referenced it. So you need to have everybody over for that beer you talked about way back then. Yeah. On the beat, Inside Carolina. I'm Tommy Ashley. Rate us, review us, subscribe. Read us on InsideCarolina.com. Be a premium subscriber. Shiny t shirt, all that. Guys, appreciate it. Thanks for listening to another podcast from InsideCarolina.com. Brought to you by JohnnyTShirt.com. Where to go for your next Tar Heel gear purchase. What's up, y'all? This is four-time NBA champ Andre Iguodala. Yo, and this is his best friend, the Ohio State legend, Evan Marcel Turner the first. Every Wednesday, we drop a new episode on our show, Point Four. We're talking basketball, business, and all the culture in between. From locker room stories to some basketball analysis from those who've been in the game. Now, it is a do-bet. Do average 29 and 11. God, what it take to be an all-star? A win. Subscribe to Point Four, the podcast, so you don't miss a thing.